This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. In 2018, the Justice Department unveiled the China Initiative. An all-of-department effort to look at espionage and trade secret theft by China. But John Yang, president of Asian Americans Advancing Justice, says something different happened. What we saw was a lot of prosecutions, not for espionage or trade secrets, but simple simple failure to disclose issues. And unfortunately, we saw had a lot of Chinese American and Asian American professors generally caught up in the system where what would have been routine matters became criminalized. We told you about this several weeks back. Now it turns out the Justice Department has decided to end the China Initiative. We'll hear exactly why. Coming up in this episode of Colors. A rising star in the new generation of Asian American journalists. My name is Amy Cho. I am a general assignment reporter at NBC4 here in Washington, D.C. Smart, energetic, and real. I grew up in Fairfax County and went to Langley High School, so it has been such a pleasure and an honor getting to report in my hometown. I am super passionate about meeting people in the community and raising awareness about issues that matter. These days, of course, as many of us know, unfortunately, anti-Asian hate continues to be a huge issue around the country. I have been extremely dedicated to making sure Asian American voices are heard, and I strive every single day to tell important stories in a fair way and help make a difference in the community. That's coming up in this episode of colors simmering racial tensions segregation now and tomorrow and forever fighting injustice i have a dream conflict looming brutality exposed i can't breathe i can't breathe the search for solutions starts here from wtop in washington dc this is colors a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. I'm a black filmmaker originally from San Francisco, California. Michael L. Crin. I am white and uh, I currently live in Boone, North Carolina. My name is Sadaha Savakumar. My ethnicity um, is Sri Lankan, which falls under the category of South Asian. I currently live in Pittsburgh, New York. My name is JJ Green. I'm black and this is Colors. It sound right, boys. Every day here in the Washington area, we are blessed to be surrounded by a large variety of news outlets reporting on a very diverse array of stories. One of the reporters we see regularly is Amy Cho of NBC4, whom you heard from in our opening tease. And she's a really good reporter. She's enthusiastic, and she always has a good story to tell. She joins us now to talk about her career and why diverse journalism is so important. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. I've been watching your work on NBC4 here in the Washington area for a while, and you've done some really compelling journalism. 
Uh, and, you know, getting the little, um, I guess, anecdotes that you sent us about the work you do and your approach to doing it, um, it was very, very compelling as well because, especially in the last couple of years, the extra added difficulty that reporters of color have had in trying to cover things, especially Asian Americans. So first, I want to thank you for being true to the, the, the profession and yourself. But also, I'd like to hear what your thoughts have been in about the last couple of years, how things have changed and evolved since the, the death of George Floyd and so many others that started this racial and social justice awakening. Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I, too, am a big fan of yours. I've been listening to your work for a long time, so it is an honor to be here with you. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously it's been a, a tough couple of years for um, for everyone and also the Asian American community. Um, but I'm, I'm so deeply honored to be in a position where I can be telling those stories and raising awareness and giving voice to people and making sure that these issues are covered. Um, I think ever since the Atlanta spa shooting was when people really started to wake up to what was going on in the Asian American community. But even before that, ever since the start of the pandemic, we, of course, have seen, you know, Asian American targeted it seems like on almost a daily basis, you know, we've seen those horrific videos of elderly Asian Americans getting shoved, kicked, uh, their heads bashed with cinder blocks in one case in Baltimore, um, just horrific, you know, spit on, called names, punched, you name it. Um, and, and for so many of us in the Asian American community, it, you know, it, it just resonates so deeply because we feel that could be my parents, my grandparents, you know, my loved ones. Um, and I have so many friends, uh, both in news and, and not in news who, you know, are hesitant to walk down the street. They worry that they could be targeted uh, for how they look. Um, but, you know, in, in reality, these are things that Asian Americans have faced, um, you know, for much of our lives, you know, that constant feeling of being a foreigner and, you know, being uh, othered and, and treated as, as different simply because you look different or might have different names, things like that. Um, and and An Yang and I were talking about this last year when it, it, we were really starting to have those conversations um, just about, you know, the, the fetishization of Asian American women. And that's something we've also had to deal with in TV news. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, getting a lot of <laughs> creepy comments, if you will, from from people, some well-meaning, some not just not really understanding why it's it's not OK to, to fetishize Asian American women as such. Um, but yeah, a lot of different issues going on at play. Um, but these are all things that I'm very passionate about yeah. covering. And I think it's so important that, that we do so. So, yeah, you're exactly right about uh, the longevity of this problem. I mean, if you go back through American history and you look at what things go back as far as when the railroad was being built, you know, I mean, Asian Americans were in the forefront of that milestone for this nation. But when it came to uh, essentially handing out the accolades for that, Asian Americans were overlooked. And, you know, it's just been on and on and on. And, and then you talk about the, essentially the criminalization of being Asian in the U.S. You know, the Justice Department not too long ago, um, you know, it scrapped this effort called the, the, the China Initiative, which basically it was designed to be some type of probe into intelligence-based or, you know, government-based um, criminality. But basically, it just boiled down to, according to folks from observers, it just it just boiled down to basically criminalizing people in the Asian American, the Pacific Islander community for being who they are, for just minor things and just trying to make a big deal out of it. So I'm wondering what you think 
why you think the Atlanta spa shootings galvanized people so much as opposed to so many other things that have been taking place over the years that haven't been as bad, but have been as just as persistent? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I wish I knew the answer in a way. It, it has been baffling because, you know, myself and all my colleagues in the Asian American Journalists Association, we've been passionate about this for a long time. So it was interesting to see that people, you know, sort of woke up, if you will, a year ago. Um, but, you know, I think it was just the horrific nature, just, you know, women um, at their place of work, just, you know, trying to make a living, support themselves and their families and just, you know, targeted uh, by this person and and just murdered, you know, just, just horrific. Um, just waking up to that, it was, you know, just devastating. And then in the coming days, when we started to learn more about these women and the families they had and the hopes and dreams and their interests and things like that, that just really fleshed out their stories and made them that more heartbreaking um, and helped them resonate with the country and the world, I think. Um, but yeah, I think just the sheer magnitude of that, that there were so many people in that, as opposed to, I guess, like a single isolated incident. I mean, we've seen a bunch in New York, a bunch in San Francisco. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's definitely interesting to see that that was the catalyst. But um, yeah, we definitely have you know been keeping our foot on the gas before and we'll continue to do so now. Yeah, you know, we actually had your president, uh, I think, uh, a- uh, Michelle Lee. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's great. She she joined she joined us along with Ellen Nakashima from the Washington Post, who's a you know a longtime colleague of mine, and and both people I respect very much. And they talked talked about just how how difficult it was the day that the 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 Atlanta shootings took place, and and just the the magnitude of calls that they got and and reach outs that they got from people needing help to get through it. So. I want to ask you this question as a result of that. You've, you're, you're, you're clearly aware, you're clearly involved, a lot of people, and you've been involved and aware for a while, but there are other people that are just waking up to this and other social injustices. But you being out there, and you're a young person, uh, and you have a lot of young friends and, and colleagues, etc. So what is your message? How are you approaching uh, making sure that this awareness is something that continues in your circle, in your community, certainly with your colleagues and, and, and friends? Yeah, it's such a good question. I mean, I think it's so important just to keep covering it, to keep talking about it. You know, it's so easy. This new cycle is so quick that it's easy to just move on from something and forget about it and move on to the next big story. Um, but so I've just tried to constantly pitch stories about the Asian American community. Um, but also, I think it's so important, not just with Asian Americans, but with all communities of color to be telling positive stories, you know, spotlighting all the good, the achievements, the you know, the, the excellence as opposed to, you know, only covering these communities when something bad and tragic happens. Um, yeah. So, I you know, I think we need to really flesh out that coverage and and cover people and, you know, in their entirety. Um, so I think that's super important. Um, also, you know, language can be a barrier at times, um, but I think it's important to, you know, work past that and not to just give up if somebody doesn't speak English, you know, to do that extra work of finding a translator because, that person's story matters too, just because they can't speak English doesn't mean it doesn't deserve to be told. Um, but that was an issue we saw with the Atlanta spa shootings. Um, initially, it took a little while to get the victim stories out there because some of them, their families did not speak English and there was that language barrier or that hesitancy or cultural barrier of not really wanting to go on the news and things like that. So building up that trust. Um, but that also goes back to why I think it's so important to keep covering communities of color, to, to build that trust and have people see themselves in the news so that they feel more comfortable in the future. Um, to, to share their stories. As you look at uh, where we are today, um, there are going to be other scenarios like this. There are going to be other situations like this. 
And I'm wondering, um, do you see any change in, I guess, the way in which leaders in this country approach this? When, 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 when the George Floyd moment happened, a lot of people, it was kind of a knee-jerk thing. A lot of people, a lot of politicians jumped on it and they started throwing all police under the bus. You know, it, police all over the country were lumped in and put in this category with Derek Chauvin. You know, there are lots of, of cries for, okay, we need to legalize this and legalize that and change this and change that because African-Americans or people of color have been have been victimized by these laws, etc. But some of it, according to some of the politicians and certainly according to the police that I've spoken to, was was too hasty. Uh, it, it was they caused other problems, you know, by jumping too quickly at these things. So I wonder in your travels, have you seen the thoughtfulness that's necessary to look at the future of racial and social justice in our community and communities across the country? Um, have you seen people slow down and just take a minute and say, OK, this is bad what took place but we've got to figure out what to do before we make do something to make it worse. Uh, yeah, that is also a very good question. Um, well, obviously, you know, the, the current president we have is not calling, you know, it, it the Kung flu and, and China virus. So I think that definitely has been a big shift. Um, but yeah, I mean, we definitely have seen a bit of that, um, you know, that kind of course correction and that reversal, I think um, the, the anti COVID-19, I think the, the hate crimes bill, um, you know, there was actually a lot of anti or Asian American um, pushback against that. You know, they were concerned that that would lead to um, additional police brutality and and um, things of that nature that they didn't want necessarily. Um, and, and they felt, you know, you can't just legislate something like that. That's not going to be a solution necessarily. And just having this on the books is not going to stop these things from happening. And you need to address kind of the root causes. Um, but yeah, so I think it's, it's definitely still very much a work in progress. Um, and I saw you had John Yang on the other day, um, Asian Americans advancing justice. They continue to do that kind of work, um, figuring out what the, what the best solutions are. Um, but yeah, definitely still a work in progress. Amy, um, tell us how you got to where you are. What made you decide to become a journalist and, um, what was your, I guess, driving force then and, and what drives you now? Yeah, for sure. I've always loved the news. I've been super passionate about it. Um, I was that nerd in elementary school. We would always get uh, the parent newsletters and I would love to read those just to figure out what was going on in the school and also just to read the lunch menu. Um, <laughs> but I also grew up in the area, so I would read the Washington Post and the Kids Post when I was younger and I had my birthday in the Kids Post. So that kind of <laughs> lit a spark. Um, yeah, then I joined the <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, was, I felt famous. Um, but then I, I joined the high school newspaper, the Saxon Scope at Langley High School in Fairfax County. Um, I wrote for the Cornell Daily Sun in college. And then I actually was fortunate enough to get an internship at News 4 when I was 18. So a week after high school, I started working at News 4 through the Emma Bowen Foundation, which pairs up minority students with media partners. So I was very fortunate in that way. Um, and I have been at News 4 ever since. Um, so it's been a wild ride, but I've always been passionate about just, you know, staying informed on what's going on, telling stories, meeting new people, learning new things. So that has never changed. So what do you want to use that for um, as you continue in your career? And and what do you, what do you, what are your plans for that career? Does it have anything to do does it relate directly to social and racial justice? Um, I mean, what I'm asking here is, you know, this program, Colors, we focus on uh, the dialogue, keeping the dialogue going. 
And it's a dialogue. It's a safe space where people can talk or do or whatever they want to engage in, as long as it's respectful um, on this program. And But most of them, all, they all have a plan for how they're going to use their tools and their skills. And I thought when you when you sent your little um, piece of audio to us that we played at the earlier part of the show, um, you were very specific about the fact that there needed to be this voice for the Asian American community. So I'm, I'm just curious, do you have plans for how you will use your career later to continue with this messaging? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I really am just taking it one day at a time, but I definitely plan as long as my career lasts to keep pitching these stories and, and t- trying to tell those stories, especially of people who we don't normally see covered or um, just, you know, giving voice to the voiceless, that type of thing. Um, Anyang and I, An- Anyang is our morning anchor. Um, we're really proud of the work we did last year. We put together a 30 minute special right after the um, the Atlanta spa shootings about the anti-Asian hate and everything that had been going on. Um, and, you know, I'd love to do more like work like that in the future if we're able to. Um, and every year during May, we always do a 30 minute special for Asian Heritage Month. So we're actually in the process of planning that right now. Um, so that's always really great. And then throughout the month of May, um, we, we definitely put on a lot of Asian heritage stories and, and things of the sort. We have a, an event every year where we bring together a bunch of leaders in the AAPI community and honor them for the work that they've done. Um, So I love getting to be a part of that. Um, And then also just internally in the journalism world, I'm really passionate about mentoring and, you know, paying it forward because I had so many people who helped me out and gave me great advice and were able to help me get my foot in the door. So anytime a young journalist, AAPI or not, um, reaches out, I'm happy to help them, you know, give feedback on their work, that type of thing. Um, And yeah, I'm I'm really, really involved in AAJA, Asian American Journalist Association. I think I've mentioned it several times by now. Um, but it's yeah, such a great work, a uh, group of people, and I, I love being a part of that. Um, and I've helped like plan conventions and things like that. Um, so that's another way in which I try to to give back. National security is my day job, and I hadn't really thought that much about this when the Ukraine story started. Um, but there have been a lot of stories about racial awakening and cultural awakening that have come up during the course of this whole thing. Um, you know, stories of people having trouble leaving. Ukraine, having trouble getting into other countries. And I think what really attracted my attention to uh, getting Amy Cho on this program was the story you did with Mo Creek's family. And that was a really interesting story. We we spoke with Mo a little earlier this very day, actually, um, about his experience. And I'm just wondering, what, what did you get from that particular experience talking with his parents? He, you know, he expressed how grateful he was to make it out. He, he uh, made sure to say on his own without any prompting that, you know, he was he felt so guilty about the people that he had left behind. Um, so he wanted to, you know, he'd been in touch with them trying to see if he could help. Um, so I was really touched by that. Um, but, yeah, I definitely heard about how, I've, you know, I've, I've heard the issue about how black people are not being able to get out of Ukraine and they've been forced to go to the back of the line and things like that. So it, yeah, it, it really just does is very infuriating to hear these stories of, of happening to people. And for those of you not familiar with this, Maurice Creek is a professional basketball player who is from this area. Uh, and he was playing basketball in Mykolaiv in Ukraine when the war broke out. And he, along with everybody else, was trying to get out. And while he didn't have any specific racial trouble getting out, uh, he had trouble getting out like everybody else did. But he did hear as well about, 
you know, those stories that Amy was alluding to about people because of their race having trouble getting out. But, you know, it was a great story. And that was a part of the reason that, you know, that (laughs) told me a little bit about your ability to tell stories and why I wanted to have you on this program. So, you know, for the young people, and we do have quite a number of young people that listen to this program and uh, follow us. I'm just wondering, what would your messaging be for them, Amy, as they look towards the future? Oh, just the future of, of the world? Just or? life. <laughs> just everything. I mean, you're such an optimistic person. So um, I'm just wondering, you know, if you could share a little bit with us how you feel about how, what your approach to the future is. I know you already said it's one day at a time, but um, just for other young people, sometimes, you know, people who may be having a rough time, they may be kind of in between you know, stuff. I recall not too long ago, we had uh, the woman on who um, um, was, she's the producer of The American Diplomat, which was a PBS documentary about how blacks got into the State Department. And she talked about when she was a, a high school student, her guidance counselor basically told her she wasn't smart enough to do this, that, or the other. And that just galvanized her. Basically, a positive person saying something positive to us when at a, at a vulnerable moment can make a big difference. And that's why I'm asking, because I know a lot of people who listen to this program are going through things right now. So I'm just wondering what your advice might be to some young person who may be hearing you and, and, and seeing this. Yeah, for sure. Also, side note, I too did a story on the producers of The Diplomats. It was, yes, that's such a great story. And I learned so much. I had no idea about the racism that diplomats had faced in that era. So I was just yeah. blown away to, to learn about this. Um, yeah, yeah. Great, great documentary. Highly recommend for those who have not watched it. Um, but yeah, as far as advice for the future, that is the million dollar question. Um, you know, I'm one of those people, I firmly believe that everything happens for a reason. You know, I, of course, have had many, you know, roadblocks in my life. Um, I really wanted to get into this summer program when I was in high school. Uh, it was called TAS. It stands for Telling Right Association Summer Program. And it was all expenses paid. Um, they would put you up in a college dorm at Cornell University, actually, just so happened to be there, um, which is my alma mater. But so I was in high school at the time. They put you up for free. It's a six-week program, uh, very competitive. Only like 5% of students get in. So of course, it was a long shot. But I, for some reason, thought I was going to get in. And I did not. And I was crushed. But then that same summer is when I started on my path in journalism and I got an internship at Fairfax County Schools and they gave the recommendation later on that would help me get my job at News 4. So really at the time, while I was crushed and devastated that my dream of going to this free vacation summer program did not work out, I would not be at News 4 if I had gone down that path because I may never have started down the communications and news path, which led me here. So, you know, everything works out for a reason. Um, and, you know, there's been so other stories, many other stories in my life like that. Um, so, yeah, I just, you know, I try, obviously, you know, it's, it's tough in the moment because you just want to sit there. And it's also okay to not be okay. You don't have to instantly pick yourself back up and, you know, instantly start trying again. It's, it's okay to just take some time and just, you know, obviously <laughs> the past years have been so much for everyone. We're literally still in the middle of a pandemic, you know, there's so much going on. So it is certainly okay to not be okay. Um, but yeah, I guess <laughs> those are my two cents take, that off yeah. the top of my head. Take take it again. I guess it goes back to taking it one step at a time. Exactly. Well, anything else you want to add that I haven't asked you about you that you think is important? Um, no, not that I can think of. Um, for any you know aspiring journalists out there, I'm happy to help at any time, pay it forward, or anybody who 
you know, just wants to chat, I'm also happy to, to you know, my, my inbox is open <laughs> as, a, as a reporter should be. <laughs> well, Amy Cho, NBC4, thank you so much. And we appreciate you. We appreciate your work and your, um, your focus on social justice and, and, and racial justice, et cetera, because it's really important. So thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. Hello, my name is Susan Terrell, and I'm a white cisgender woman living in Northeast Pennsylvania. I've spent over a decade trying to keep my whiteness and the privilege that results from it at the forefront of my thinking and actions. And even after all this time, I find it hard to do. I also find it hard to find other white people to help me keep this at the forefront so that my actions are anti-racist and don't inadvertently slip back into privilege. I ultimately think that racism is a white person's problem to solve. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. The war in Ukraine and the racial implications of evacuation. I started getting calls from my parents a lot more saying, hey, maybe you may need to think about getting out of Ukraine. Maurice Mo Creek is a professional basketball player from the Washington, D.C. area, and his attempts to get out of Ukraine turned from hopeful to desperate. I kind of felt down and helpless, like when my assistant coach tried to get me across the bridge one day and I thought I was getting out and it was all guards on the bridge with guns like, you want to turn this car around. He was lucky, but he knows others, because of their race, were not so lucky. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. That's going to do it for another episode of Colors. Thanks to Hillary Howard, Mike Chikaitis, Ron Pemberton, Joel Oxley, Julia Ziegler, Ernie Green, Amara Walker, Dr. Anthony Fauci, Dorothy Gilliam, Christine Brennan, James Brown, and for our music, thanks to Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Offshane. And most of all, thank you for listening. And just remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.